All right, guys. Uh, all of us past fifty, we figured out how to use new technology, so that's a good starting point. Uh, let's get going. So again, checking in. Uh, Shashi, you're here. Yes. Vishwas, you're here. Yep. And Neeraj, you're here. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Let's get the show on the road. So this is India Spora, uh, a new podcast that four of us are launching. It's a new project. We're really excited about it. Uh, and before we start chatting, maybe I'll just give some quick context. So my name is Vijay. I'm joined by three good buddies from college days: Shashi, Vishwas, and Neeraj. Uh, you know, all of us met at IIT Kharagpur many, many years ago. We were in the same hostel in the same batch, uh, but then we all went on to take different paths that took us across the globe. Um, all of us came from different parts of India. We have middle-class upbringings. Uh, some of us went into the corporate world, some of us went entrepreneurial, public sector, consulting. Some of us made switches between those um, and settled in different parts of the world, the U.S., U.K., India. All of us are married. We are raising kids in a world that I guess felt borderless for a while, but now seems to be going back to an older time with more defined boundaries. And... Uh, all of us also have uh, aging parents. We have kids who are trying to make a mark in the world. And I guess in the end, we're all global citizens uh, with multiple countries as a footprint. And all of this comes with unique challenges, something we experience every single day. Uh, when our Indian background and cultural heritage collides with all the new things that we have learned and embraced as we move across the continents. And this show really aims to provide a peek into the lives of the Indian diaspora, people like us, uh, who we are what our challenges are, how do the current affairs in the world impact us, where do you think we're headed as a community. We hope to discuss these questions and more as old friends. We hope to keep the conversation civil, but we hope to challenge each other and always do it with a positive air that focuses on solutions rather than problems. So that's India's Fora. Welcome. Let's get started. All right, guys. So, you know, today is our inaugural episode, and uh, we have a couple of topics that seem to be... Uh, sort of relevant on our minds. And I think the first one we want to jump in is uh, uh, around the UK election. I guess that's an interesting one because, Shashi, you live in the UK. You've been there for a long time. You've been doing some really good work in the public sector. And one of the two contenders has an Indian origin. And I know that you have a son who's now grown up in college. So, um, uh, And he's a UK citizen. So how, how is all this playing out there? How is it playing out in your family? What do you think about this? Uh, what's going on? And, and talk a little bit about it. Well, it's the it's really the topic of the day, Vijay. Um, it's like a big saga playing out, and it's kind of interesting the, the very different perspectives you get on Rishi Sunak and his prospects of becoming the uh, Tory leader and then the Prime Minister. Um, I mean, among the Indian community, um, there is a huge amount of excitement. I mean, back home in India, the press is full of whether he's going to become Prime Minister and what that means for India and so on. Um, interestingly, if I look at my son, he has a very different perspective. So for him, um, you know, living here, you know, born here and brought up here, um, I mean, Rishi Sunak feels like one of his own. And they don't have, at least my son doesn't have as acute a sense of being um, an immigrant as we had. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, second generation immigrant, his experiences are very different. But, you know, the thing that I find is that if, you know, we have a lot of discussions at home uh, about Rishi Sunak. And the thing that I find is that on one side, you know, it's great to see somebody with a brown skin uh, becoming such a big role model and progressing as far as he has. 
And irrespective of whether he becomes prime minister or not, the fact that he's that close to becoming prime minister is a good thing in itself. But on the other side, you know, you find that a lot of people are investing their own aspirations on him and willing him to become prime minister, not because of the merits of Rishi Sunak himself, but because they would just like to see someone like them become a prime minister. Um, so it's a really, it's a really interesting time, and it's a really interesting sort of emotions and aspirations that people are finding in all of this. My son seems to be less bothered about it than I am. Um, and <laughs> interestingly, you know, I think his generation are willing to look at these things perspective of who's got the best merit rather than who's got the right skin color. Right. How do you feel about it, Shashi? I know you've, you, uh, you've worked a lot of, with uh, people in politics there. Uh, you know, that's, part, that's part of the territory for you. How, how have you been feeling about this whole situation? Well, I think, you know, the same kind of conflicts uh, play in my mind as well, Vijay. I mean, um, you, you know, there's a question of who's the most meritorious candidate. Um, and there's a lot there going for Rishi Sunak. There's also the question of, um, you know, the politics and whether the political sphere is going to accept him. Uh, I mean, it's in the public domain, it's in the press all the time that uh, he fell out with Boris Johnson very badly and Boris and his crowd don't want him to become prime minister and all of that is playing out in the background as well. I think, you know, living in the UK, and I've lived in the UK now for 23 years, living in the UK, um, working in the public sector, working with many of these politicians, um, I mean, even for me as an immigrant, you know, it would be a great thing to see Rishi as prime minister, but the country needs somebody who can sh- that can shake it out of its current stupor. You know, the I mean, economic growth has not been great for the last 15 years. Um, you know, Brexit has had its own impact and all of those things. And for me, you know, what matters more is somebody who can pull us out of all of that than the person with the right skin color. Now, as it turns out, in my view, he's got the best platform for addressing all of those issues. So this is a happy coincidence where, you know, I think the most meritorious candidate actually is Rishi. But um, my view is that, you know, this is a game that's being played not just on merit, but on many other factors. And the whole electoral process is very weird in that he's not going to be elected by the country. He's going to be elected by, uh, well, it's a two-stage process, first by uh, members of parliament of his own party. And he's passed that and become the leading candidate. But the next stage is that he's got to be elected by the membership of the Conservative Party, which are rumored to be between 150 and 200,000. So it's a very small group of people who are, uh, you know, representative of the party, but not necessarily of the nation. And whether they end up picking him or not is, I think, a different issue altogether. Yeah, no, those are all, I think, I think in the end, uh, what is really cool about all this for me is that uh, somebody who immigrated, you know, obviously not Rishi, his parents or grandparents, I don't exactly know the history, but somebody from an Asian sort of background has reached a point where they are in contention to lead a country like Britain. And I think this is something that maybe I'll also drop on you, Neeraj, and Vishwas for your thoughts. But, um, you know, one of the things that I feel as as the Asian community is... Uh, we have done really well professionally, you know, uh, <laughs> the typical stereotype would be, uh, you know, at least when the first level immigrants like me, we're probably pushing our kids to either become an engineer or a doctor. But actually, we also talk a lot about the importance of uh, participation in the political process. And, you know, uh, you know, we have adopted uh, a new homeland for ourselves and we want to be very much engaged and do what we can to sort of mold it in the direction that we want it to go. 
And, you know, I, I don't see too many examples of people from our community stepping into the political arena because, you know, we just don't think that's the priority for, for our kids or grandkids or whatever. So uh, I, I am actually, that's the enthusiasm that I feel to see somebody like Rishi up there as, a, as an example of, hey, this is possible and, you know, this is kind of important for, for uh, our community to also participate in once we've decided that we want to live in a different part of the world. So uh, I guess I'll uh, first start with you, Neeraj. What do you think? How, how do you think about this? Are your kids politically inclined? Uh, do you think any of them might actually end up going in this direction? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? So uh, very interesting. So it's very interesting that, you know, we all grew up in an age where our parents pushed us to be either an engineer or a doctor, right? Uh, when we came to the U.S., we didn't know what it was going to be about. My daughter is in, interested in theater drama. My son is interested in sports broadcasting. But funny enough that my wife keeps telling our kids that, hey, if nothing, you guys should enter politics. It's partly joke, but partly serious, too. The reason is not it's not got to do anything with money, but it's got to do with how the lives are getting shaped around with politics. When you meet people and say, hey, I am not a political person, it actually surprises me that why? Because today's whole world is getting shaped by politics. So my wife actually has been asking my daughter, she should pursue politics. And my daughter is kind of semi-serious, not serious. She's too young at this point. Having said that, I think the UK is in a different space than USA. Uh, UK already has a Pakistani uh, mayor for London. London is probably the biggest city. I don't know what the population of London versus UK is, but UK seems to have embraced a leader that is not of their own origin. In US, you would find while we are about 5 million plus and have the, one of the highest uh, you know, education and income levels, uh, you would see far few Indians in politics. Uh, Kamala Harris notwithstanding, uh, but you would find a few are out there. But politics has not become a mainstream for Indians in the United States. It's still, you know, given that the age we come from, doctor, uh, engineer, maybe lawyers at the best, uh, is the profession of choice. So it was kind of surprising to see my wife asking my daughter, hey, you should pursue either legal career or a political career. I think, uh, and you know, it, there's one thing to actually get into politics and stand for, you know, go for office. And I think that's that itself is the fact that you guys are encouraging the kids to do that is, is uh, you know, awesome. But also just getting politically active and participating in the process is so important. A lot of the time we just see sort of the tendency to not not to, to stay away from this stuff and, you know, just do our own thing. So. I think uh, it is it is really critical for for all of us to engage in the process, and if some of our kids can actually go in and and take on that as a profession, that'd be awesome. One of my nephews is in the Biden administration, and it's amazing to see how some of these kids have sort of gone on to to actually participate wholly in the process. Uh, Vishwas, you're sitting in India. I know your son's coming to the U.S. soon for for studies. Uh, what about you? Do you do you do you have either your own kids or your uh, people in your family? Sort of how politically active and and uh, what are your thoughts on this on this whole thing? Yeah, so uh, it's it's a very interesting area because I see this a little differently. Uh, uh, the way I see this is that uh, uh, Indians uh, 
I love to see, uh, uh, you know, their their fellow country folks, uh, people from their you know Indian origin, succeed. So there is a long list of of folks from from uh, you know the CEOs of different companies, from Google to IBM to Adobe, Microsoft. Uh, that is one class of people that I would say is uh, is a clean success. And for want of a better word, uh, political uh, personalities succeeding in that area is a little more risky because uh, uh, pol- politics is is more complex and not necessarily as clean as as uh, or as uh, uh, safe as you would have business. So it is a sort of uh, uh, it's it's a, like a double-edged sword. You you have Rishi Sunak up there, but then uh he also uh has had a history where uh say for example he was attending a party that was well, he should not have been so events like that it's you know these events show that it's not very easy for a person to uh to stay spotlessly clean and that means that a person can become a little controversial and that can have an impact uh, both ways so it's you know absolutely if Rishi Sunak uh, succeeds as a prime minister goes on to become a prime minister succeeds as one and by and large has a, a net positive record absolutely that would be great but uh, but it can work the other way around as well because they, it's a lot more unstable uh, to be in politics compared to business so the way I see this is that uh, it's a new it's a new front. It's a new domain that is opening up because we have so far had a lot of Indians succeed abroad on the side of business. Politics is something that is a, a more uncertain area, and I think it will also be a more mixed bag compared to business. And as far as the political process is concerned, I think uh, the good thing is I I think a lot of Indians do actively participate in uh, uh, in the political process, uh, especially in U.S., and and I think that is pretty good. That is that is a low risk, uh, uh, high impact uh, area. So, uh, and I, wanna, I think that's a net positive. I want to add one yeah, point plus to your point. Yeah, Neeraj. Politics actually has become career here, right? And it has become a sort of a business here too. To me. Pursuing politics is no different than pursuing, say, medicine. And actually, it's a greater good because it impacts more lives, right? It, uh, in the U.S., you're watching what's going on, and I don't want to get into the specific topics, but each topic that comes up in the news that's decided by either politicians or Supreme Court does not simply impact a small ethnic group or, or, a, or a particular demography. It impacts at least half the U.S. population. So I think my kids are sort of not uh, neutral, but uh, they are they understand what's going on. They see what's going on. They are observing it, and it's shaping their life, and it's shaping their belief system. And based on what I'm seeing, I know which way they're going to vote. So I don't mind them pursuing politics as a career. Yeah, yeah, if I could just add one thing here. Yeah, yeah, I think part of what we're seeing with Rishi Sunak is a bit of a normalization of politics as something that Asians do. 
right? If you look at it, you know, the first member of parliament from a subcontinental origin to be elected in the UK was only in the 1990s. It's not that long ago. Keith Was became the first member of parliament. The first woman of subcontinental origin to become a member of parliament was only in 2010. So we're seeing a very rapid progression in the normalization of people like us starting to become not just active, but also prominent in politics. And, you know, it's worth remembering that there are other countries where Indians have gone to live, you know, Mauritius or Guyana and places of that kind, where they've been around for a bit longer and been a more substantive part of the population where the Indian community has been very active and very prominent in political positions. You know, you'll remember from our childhood days, Anirudh Jagannath used to be the prime minister of Mauritius and very prominently known, very well known in India and all that. So to an extent, we should not be surprised that someone like Rishi is becoming prominent. Uh, what I think is interesting is that he's becoming prominent despite the fact that the Indian community, in terms of the overall share of the population, still remains very small. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I think the I think the takeaway here is, look, firstly, uh, all the points about how politics is different from engineering and medicine are, are, are well taken. Look, it requires a certain type of personality, but it's an arena that's a really important arena to be in. Uh, I think Neeraj, your points about sort of the greater good, it's, it's very real. And I think the fact that our community is starting to become more prominent and, and sort of uh, engaging in the process, it, it, it's, it's really a, a good step forward. And I hope that more and more of the kids from the next generation will uh, see this as a very viable option and pursue it and hopefully go on to do some great things and, and uh, help to shape the future of our countries where we live. So I think, the, great, that was a great conversation. I think uh, we, <laughs> this is a topic that we can talk about for a long time, but uh, let's, let's uh, pivot into um, one of the things that we want to do in every episode is to highlight somebody in the community who's doing something amazing, either a charity or something that, that's helping to give back. Uh, today, we want to talk about one of the seniors from our hostel uh, in IIT Kharagpur, who's doing some amazing work with uh, with kids. Um, so I'm going to hand this to you, Shashi and Neeraj, because you have actually visited the facility. Can you talk a little bit about about uh, the charity that Saibalda is running? Uh, all the information regarding how to sort of uh, engage will be provided in the show notes. But uh, go ahead, Shashi, you want to jump in? And maybe Neeraj, you can also talk about what you saw when you went there. Saibal Guha is one of our seniors from IIT Kharagpur, you know, from uh, the same hostel as we were. Um, interestingly, he graduated before any of us joined, so we didn't know him there. But the, the wonder of social media is that we're all connect, connected to him now. And um, through social media, we got to know this fantastic work that he's doing. So uh, just for the sake of others, uh, so Saibal Guha runs this charity called Voice of World, where they um, provide residential and non-residential care for children suffering from various disabilities. I mean, some of them are so severely disabled that uh, they will need lifelong care. And... Um, I went to um, Kolkata, in, I mean, I go to Kolkata quite frequently, but I visited uh, Voice of World in 2019. And uh, I'll describe what I saw there, Vijay, but I think it's interesting for me, actually very inspiring and educational for me. I think it's very difficult to walk away from that facility without tears in your eyes. That is the nature of the work that he's doing. You know, the um, the way children come into the facility is that they've been, uh, they get notified mainly by the police of children who've been abandoned because of severe disabilities. You know, the families are not able to take care of them. The police pick these children up and hand them over to Saibal's charity. Um, and the, these guys then provide them with residential care where needed. Um, you know, all the usual things about the food and shelter and everything else for that kind is taken care of. 
But interestingly, and for me, what is really special about them are two things. You know, one is that everybody is getting an education, and not just an education in terms of reading and writing, but they all get to learn to um, sing and dance and paint and things of that kind, which is really giving them a very enriching life. But for me, the test of their success is that I found the 300 or so children who are in residential care to be happy. And to take children um, who, you know, society has kind of turned into outcasts and give them a, a happy and fulfilling life is something that is deeply inspirational to me. And, you know, as much as we, all of us, all four of us, all of our other friends have gone on to do wonderful things and been very successful, to me, the fact that uh, Saibal has given up his life to the care of these children is something that is deeply inspiring and deeply motivating. So like many others, I've been a huge supporter of Saibalda and uh, will continue to be so. Um, you know, it's very difficult for me to find somebody more inspirational in the world of charity than what he does. Terrific. Hey, Neeraj, I know you've been there too. Uh, can you talk a little bit about about what you saw and maybe how some of the, the funding that goes into Saibalda's charity is used in the ways you saw? Yep. So I visited uh, Saibalda's Voice of World home in January 2020, just prior to the COVID breakout. One of the things that Shashi just said, you cannot leave that facility without tears in your eyes, right? Uh, the the one, one great thing about that charity is that they're not just feeding the children, they're actually trying to make them, uh, they're enabling them to live in the world of their own. Uh, they are trying to give them not only education, teaching them English, Hindi, Bangla, or, you know, music, painting, but they're also giving them real life skills, vocational skills that they can go out and get a job or start their own small business so that they don't have to depend on anybody else. I think uh, the charity has grown to a point where they have to rent the facility from some other local hostels or dharamshalas kind of places. And now they're building a school so that they don't have to rely on third party to educate them so they can provide education, including graduate degrees like bachelors uh, and send them out in the world to live their own. In terms of uh, donations, the money they're raising, they're, they're mostly rely on charity. They mostly rely on donations. There are some government grants, but that's the probably the smallest part. So if you live in US or if you live in India, you can actually get the tax benefits from the charity. Uh, I've established a Voice of World USA uh, entity that donations are uh, tax exempt. Similarly, in India, they're also tax exempt by Indian code ATC or ATG. So if people want to donate, they can either donate lump sum, but my preference is if people can donate, just donate $5, $10 a week. Like it's not even the cost of the coffee or going out to Dunkin' or Starbucks once. So I, I would prefer that if people set up a drip type of charity. $10 a week could be could be more, $25 a week. But I'm saying you can start minimum $10 a week. And that, if we can get even, you know, 100 people, that's $1,000 a week. That is not the biggest amount, but that will at least ensure that there's food on the table for these children. So if needed, I can provide more details, Vijay. But I think that's what we are looking for to help this charity out. The Voice of World based out of Kolkata. They actually have 
one place even outside kolkata but mostly centered around kolkata terrific now this is this is very helpful and i i, I know you guys spoke at length because you've been there you've seen the amazing work and uh, there is a lot of emotion attached to it so uh, we will provide information in the show notes on how uh, how to uh, find this charity of course voice of world you can google it too and uh, we are also encouraging our listeners uh, if they know of a somebody doing amazing work to give back uh, where others can pitch in and contribute please reach out to us uh, we'll provide an email address as well as uh, if you want to actually make a vocal pitch as part of our our podcast uh, we'd be happy to get uh, a voice memo from you you know you can record a couple of minutes just describing sort of who you are and uh, who you're talking about and how to reach to reach out to them we'd be happy to sort of just stitch that into the episode so that we could share all the goodness that's going on around the world uh, and and help some of these amazing people succeed okay cool so let's go back into uh, our second topic of the day uh, this is the one that i want to sort of drop into the discussion and it really has to do with uh, a problem that i guess which is very common for for first generation immigrants and maybe even second generation uh, but you know when we have uh, our parents visit us uh, in the us um, and trying to buy insurance or trying to ensure that they have good healthcare while they visit uh, or when they stay for extended duration with us it's a challenge that i'm you know i am recently dealing with as i'm trying to get my parents and in-laws over some of the insurance plans out there seem to have really high costs and uh, not very high uh, coverage but then we've actually lived through a whole cycle of actually trying to um uh, we had one incident a few years ago where we uh, you know we had a situation where we had to apply for a claim and it was it was absolutely impossible to get the company to actually pay out uh, they pulled every trick from the bag so this is now a, a conundrum for us as to you know should we buy insurance we buy it which we buy it? what are, what should we be thinking about how to manage this situation and then it gets it gets even more complicated when you have you know we are citizens so for us sort of home base here is pretty straightforward but then people who are on immigrant visas and they're dealing with the whole idea of not being able to travel back and forth and trying to manage all this it gets even harder so uh, uh what are your thoughts guys uh you know i know at, at least uh, two of us uh, are in the us and then shashi you're in the uk maybe neeraj you can since you're in the us like me you can start and then we'll see if there are some similar challenges in the uk and how how sort of all of us are managing in this what what are some best practices here yeah so in the us you know it's all insurance based my mom is here she came here in april and i talked to different friends about what are the options i have for covering her you know health situation she has some pre existing situation she's 75 years old one of the things i found out was that while there are insurances they don't pay back the i've never investigated more than just the chit chat with friends but when i found out yeah the coverage is there they'll cover basic stuff and all that I actually decided not to go by the insurance. So I am taking a risk where my mom is here and should something happen I don't have an insurance coverage. But I live in Florida which is huge um retiree community has a lot of elderly a lot of elderly care and all that. So the risk I've taken is that if something happens 
maybe we go to a nearest you know the urgent md kind of place take care of the situation and patch it enough that we can fly back to india and take care of it over there so that's the risk i've taken uh, not sure if that's the right thing to do but given that medical insurances are um, in my mind are literally a scam uh, I'm, pros- <laughs> i'm willing to take that risk yeah and i think uh, just to uh, add back into that uh, <laughs> i've talked at least with two relatives in in recent days and everybody seems to be landing in the same place uh, some anecdotes uh, the one i was describing earlier my father in law many years ago when he was visiting us we had bought insurance from a company in india uh he broke his arm because he uh, fell down the stairs in our house and their immediate response was not covered pre existing condition so a broken arm was a pre existing condition so they just kind of said rule book number 1 call it a pre existing condition see what happens yeah, so we ended up sort of footing a lot of the bill uh we got some reduced rates from the hospital when they realized we were struggling with the insurance company uh and in the end we managed to get coverage but that was because Uh, we figured out through family connections somebody high up in the insurance company who finally stepped in and and many months later helped us get a lot of that money recovered through the insurance company and we lost a lot of money also through exchange rate fluctuations in the time but it was a complete nightmare and everybody else that I've spoken to seems to be saying the same thing you pay all this money by the insurance uh, and you it gives you peace of mind thinking you have insurance but when the actual thing hits it's an absolute nightmare to get coverage so uh i know another relative who had uh, a broken foot and they literally uh, did exactly what he said patched the person up and flew them uh, in business class back to india and then they were happy because they knew everybody there and they could get the best treatment they they could obviously they they have community there and everything worked out so it is kind of sad that we are in this state of affairs but this is where a lot of people seem to be landing it's like you know uh save your money and and if something happens do the best you can to provide uh the care that's needed to just ship them back and i don't know if that's the best one but that's where a lot of us seem to be landing uh because the peace of mind route is not working uh what about the uk shashi what is what does it look like to you there so um i mean it's a very different situation here um uh, in that uh, we have a nationalized health service and there is a minimum level of care including emergency care that the nhs will provide to visitors as well uh but beyond that you are on your own um and you can of course get insurance and insurance will pay out i've never had a need to do it because when my mother has been here we've had short term coverage from the nhs as a uh, you know registering her as as a visitor but even if um we were to need hospital care and we weren't insured i think the price differentials between here and the us are so big that um you know it's actually much more affordable to pay for care even if you went private over here So that's been the story here. I mean interestingly my mother uh, my my father passed away a long time ago so my mother was living alone in India um and we decided to move her. Now what's difficult in the UK is that unlike the US uh getting a, a dependent visa for a parent is near impossible. Um and that's why we chose to send uh, my mother to the US where my siblings live. And when she arrived there um she was thankfully covered by Obamacare. until she got a green card and then of course once she got a green card and she's got a minimum level of stay that's needed before she becomes eligible for medicare but she's now on medicare finally but you know these are standard challenges that unfortunately all of us have to face and uh, there are no easy answers immigration is much harder in the uk for parents 
but the healthcare situation is a bit easier. Yeah, I feel like you definitely have a, situ- a system that's probably working better than than what we are facing here, and it is a yeah. true challenge. Vishwas, I know that you are in India, but have you had to sort of deal with some of these issues with uh, travel or with elderly people traveling or any any of these kind of? Have you encountered any of these? Uh, yes, for Germany, uh, what I have seen is uh, <clears throat> not because of uh, uh, my parents being over there, but uh, from the discussions I've had with my with my colleagues when I was there in Germany, and this is uh, you know 2006, 2007. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a sort of an emergency care, so it is. Uh, uh, fix medical issue, immediate medical issues later, and then f- the system tries to figure out whether you need to pay anything for it. Uh, the, a lot of it is basically, uh, it, it, it's, it's similar to the NHS system rather than the US system. So the, uh, the doctors and the hospitals, they will Typically, take care of, say, for example, if you have a fracture, you know, they would, they will take care of it, and the expenses usually are uh, not substantial. What is uh, 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 what what uh, does stand out is that if there is something more serious, like, for example, if you need a surgical intervention, now that is where uh, it gets a little tricky because uh, it's uh the same problem that we were discussing you have insurance that may not pay out later on and uh, the more costly interventions the system is not uh, really geared towards providing and and there are hiccups and it is not a smooth system in terms of providing uh, a costly intervention to visitors but basic uh, medical care that is needed which would be maybe I would say 70% of the issues that may arise is typically taken care of. So that is, you know, that has been my experience. Got it. And I think uh, I, very, very consistent with some of the other things you've been saying here. I think the other, obviously, uh, curveball that has happened recently is with COVID and sort of uh, uh, <laughs> went and saw a lot of plans where, there were specific exclusions around COVID, et cetera, which probably are easing up now that the variants are less harmful. But yeah, the whole the whole process seems to be kind of difficult to navigate. And uh, I, I think what is really painful is that we are in a being put in a position to make some pretty harsh choices about care for our elderly parents or relatives who are visiting because it, this is <laughs> patching up and sending back is obviously not the best outcome. We live in a country. At least, Anita, you and I live in the U.S., U.K. So people fly to these countries to get care. Uh, we live in places where the quality of care is very good. Uh, we should be able to afford that or make that happen for 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 our loved ones. So hopefully, the, we can do something about it in the coming uh, days, weeks, months, years. Uh, and uh, there there are some improvements here, but as of now, it sounds like we have certain things that we are sort of thinking of the paths we will take and hope for the best. So, all right, guys, uh, that was another good topic. I'm glad to get your inputs. Uh, I'm going to be facing that situation very soon again, so uh, we'll have to make some decisions. Uh, It was great to catch up with you guys. I think we've kind of covered enough uh, time today for the first episode. Uh, 
looking forward to catching up with you guys again. Uh, just for, for the people who are listening in, uh, we hope to connect on a weekly sort of time frame for these conversations. Sometimes it may go a little longer, but our plan is to catch up three to four times a month and, and uh, have these conversations around things that are on our minds. Uh, we look forward to engagement with uh, all of you who are listening. Uh, please uh, go ahead and provide any reviews or, or comments, etc. cetera, uh, rate the show. Uh, that's very helpful to spread the word. Uh, and again, as we said, if you know of some people doing some amazing things uh, in the community, uh, please do reach out and, and share. We would be happy to highlight them. Uh, we're just getting started and looking forward to continuing the conversations. So, hey, guys, all of you, stay safe. Hopefully, everyone's healthy right now. Uh, and uh, it was great to catch up with you and looking forward to our next conversation. All right, Vijay. Yep. Take care, man. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.